if I am an activist and I own 5% of a company, and by law in Canada, if you have 5% of public company, you can request a special meeting to replace the board of directors and put your own people in place, okay? But you still have to convince a majority of the vote and shareholders of your strategy in order for you to be successful. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Welcome back to the Inspire Podcast. I have a really neat guest on today. His name is Wes Hall. He's the founder and chief executive of Kingsdale Investor Services. What does Kingsdale do? You might ask. Well, you probably haven't heard of them unless you're in the business of activist investing. Activist investing is when a company uh, is deemed by an investor to be ripe for change. And that investor buys up shares and essentially tries to bring about change either with new board members, new management, or a sale of parts or the whole company. And these activists can be aggressive. They can demand changes. And often what happens is there's a battle between management and the board and the activists on the other side. What Wes does is he represents one of those two sides, either the activist hoping to bring about change or the management board hoping to prevent it. And he has an incredible track record. He's been sought out to lead some of the highest profile deals and proxy contests in North America. Some of the ones you might have heard of, uh, Tim Hortons with their $12.5 billion merger with Burger King, Pershing Square Capitals campaign to replace the board of Canadian Pacific Railway and install a new CEO, and PetroCanada's $19 billion merger with Suncor Energy. Wes has been named by the Globe and Mail, one of the nation's most influential power brokers, and by Canadian Business Magazine as one of the most powerful business people in 2016. Uh, He is incredibly accomplished, uh, and as you will hear from talking with him, surprising in uh, how he approaches these highly aggressive interactions, much more with the mindset of helping clients achieve success rather than winning. And you'll hear how he defines those terms. And even though you may never fight a proxy war, Wes's advice is invaluable if you ever find yourself entering into any sort of confrontational negotiation. So enjoy my conversation with Wes Hall. So joining me today on the Inspire podcast is Wes Hall. And Wes is the executive chairman and founder of Kingsdale Advisors, which is a shareholder advisory and communications company. And I think, Wes, it's fair to say, one of the premier shareholder advisory and communications companies from what I've learned and read in, in Canada, in North America? Um, well, I'd like to think uh, uh, the premier, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a modest guy. <laughs> right. Well, I'm sure that's what served you well in your in becoming a premier company. And, and maybe rather than me um, 
telling listeners more about you, uh, if you could give us the, the Coles notes, because you, you really have a, an inspiring story of what's led you to this position in, in the Canadian advisory market. So tell us a bit about your yeah. story. So, so in, in Canada for, for years, you know, we, we had this voting system where, you know, if you own stock in a public company, they send you an annual report and a proxy circular once a year. And then you would just uh, dutifully submit your proxies and vote in favor of management. There's there are times when you as a, as an investor may not be satisfied with how the company is managed. You may not be satisfied with the performance. You may not be satisfied with the information that you're getting from the company. Um, and uh, and you're you want to take some action, but the only action that you can take as an investor is to just withhold your vote uh, for the uh, incumbent directors. And, and a withhold vote is actually nothing. It's a useless vote. So even if you have, for example, 100 shareholders out there and 99 shareholders withhold their vote from, uh, from the board, that board gets elected because we have what they call a plurality system. Okay. So in any event, um, what I envisioned back in uh, 2003 was that there's going to be a time when shareholders will not be just, uh, you know, accepting the fact that they can't take any actions against the board. And uh, they're going to be a little bit more aggressive in terms of their demands. And if they're a little bit more aggressive, there has to be someone who will be in a position to advise either those investors that want to be aggressive or to advise the company to defend them against those aggressive investors. Now, so you have to understand that back in 2003, we didn't really have the thing called activist investors. Okay, so I created a market to take into account those, again, uh, dissident or uh, angry investors. And then those angry investors became activist investors, they became very organized, a lot of money went behind them, and then they start to launch sophisticated campaigns, and essentially my business uh, flourished as a result of that. And you, you've worked on some of the most exciting campaigns from an activist standpoint in, in Canadian history, like the, the activist campaign at CP Rail. Maybe you could uh, just name a few of the ones that have been you know, kind of uh, real standouts for you and that, that listeners may have heard about over the last decade? Well, certainly CP Rail was the one that I think all Canadians would, would, would read about because CP is an established Canadian company, I think around for 150 years or so. And, uh, but the company for years has been underperforming. And uh, Bill Ackman, an activist uh, investor from the U.S., decided that uh, he saw an opportunity uh, to uh, get new management on board, in particular changing the CEO. And, uh, and then, you know, he feels that a lot of value could be created by doing that. So what he did was he approached uh, the chairman of the board, um, John Cleghorn, and said, John, I have this idea. Uh, uh, I think you should replace the current CEO. And there's a guy named uh, Hunter Harrison uh, who just retired from CN, and he would absolutely be thrilled to be the CEO of uh, CP and uh, and create some value for investors. And uh, the meeting didn't really go too well. At the time, Bill had about 15% of the company that he bought. 
and um, and so CP told him, no, we're not we're not interested. We're not gonna we're gonna continue. Uh, we're gonna uh, continue to back Fred. And yeah, we have a CEO ready. Thank you very much. Good luck. Go back to New York. And uh, Bill is not the guy to take no for an answer, especially after putting over a billion dollars in the company. And uh, he decided that he's going to launch a campaign to replace at the time two directors to get two board seats on the board. Now they had about 15 members on the board and he said, I'm a 15%, 16% shareholder. I would like to get two board seats. And, uh, and they challenged him. And then this proxy fight started. Uh, we were contacted by, in fact, we were contacted uh, first by Bill Ackman, uh, who said, listen, uh, here's the situation. Um, we would like to go public with it. We would like to replace the board. And we would like to engage Kingsdale to uh, to assist us in the process. Um, a couple of months later, we actually were approached by CP, who said, we have this guy named Bill Ackman who's trying to do something against us. And we would, we're thinking about whether or not we should engage you. And at the time, we said, well, we're already conflicted. And uh, one of the things that you'll find in these campaigns uh, quite often is that uh, the activist investors tend to be very organized. Again, because they're well-funded. Uh, and uh, so they can pick the best team and they pick them before the company actually even know that they're in trouble. So we were hired months before, and that's when they pick us. So we were hired months before the company actually called us. And during that period of time, we're just strategizing on how we're gonna make uh, 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 Bill get what he's looking for. Uh, so essentially the fight started. And that was a campaign that was ultimately successful and led to, to huge changes at CP. And you know, really this, this is why I wanted to have you on because you know, Wes, Correct me if I'm wrong, but when you look at an activist campaign, the the activist investors, despite having a big position, are really minority shareholders. Yep. They yep. cannot force the board to replace the CEO. They cannot force the board to give them seats. And so really it's how influential can they be, right? How can and it becomes a war of a war of influence, doesn't it, between both sides? Well, you know, and I think that's, uh, you know, Bart, a lot of people don't really understand that aspect of it. And that's a real important aspect. If I am an activist and I own 5% of a company, and by law in Canada, if you have 5% of public company, you can request a special meeting to replace the board of directors and put your own people in place. Okay. But you still have to convince 95%, not even 95%, you still have to convince a majority of the vote and shareholders of your strategy in order for you to be successful. So your 5% is not gonna make you successful, is your ability, it's your ability to convince other shareholders of your thesis that will make you successful. And it's also the company's ability to convince the, those same shareholders that their thesis is the right one. And whoever is uh, has the best message in front of shareholders and can convince them the best, that's the side that ultimately will get control of the company. And this is why I'm Bottom so excited line. so excited to have you on to delve deeper into this process. And I know when, when we spoke earlier, so that it really starts when you're engaged with, you know, in some ways, I know you're hired, you can be hired by a, by a defending board or you can be hired, as you said, in the CP Rail case as an activist uh, advocate. But what, what you really told me is that the first conversation is not that argument with the other side, but it's really the, the frank discussion with whoever it, retain, it is who retains you. T take us into that moment and what happens in those interactions. And 
So, so what I, uh, for example, let's use CP again as an example, right? Let's say I was re re hired by the CP board to advise them. Instead of Bill, I was hired by the CP board. And they came to me and said, listen, we have a 16% shareholder who would like to have two seats on a 16-person board, and they would like us to consider a new CEO. Uh, I have to assess whether or not uh, there is uh, merit for winning a proxy fight on the arguments that he's going to present and our defense to those arguments, right? So I look at the situation and go, we've been underperforming the, uh, the, our peer group by a country mile for many years. We've been sending out operation plans after operation plans, and we keep on missing them. And every time we miss, we update. But there are no consequences. And I look at what shareholders have been saying about us on each conference calls that we have every quarter, and they're just telling us, they're just chastising us. And, we, and I know that we have a very negative relationship with our investors because they claim that we could do better, and we're telling them that we cannot do better because we have this thing in Alberta, it's a grade and it's a snow and it's a problem for us, right? Now, I would have to look at that and go, that is a tough fight for me to win uh, because I'm going after minds and hearts and I don't have enough ammunition to fight to win those minds and hearts. And Bill would because all he's saying is, just put some fresh blood on the board, just two, just two with some new ideas. And by the way, won't you consider a new CEO, a guy who has done it several times before and have created a lot of value and who is willing to come in <laughs> and, and work with this board uh, to create value? So you would almost so have to I tell would, them what they hired you to do is not something that you'd advise. I, I would say that, uh, you know, yes, you're hired me to fight, but you're also hired me to give you the straight goods hmm. as to whether or not, because there's just some fight that's just not winnable. Okay, I may be a fighter, but if I go down the street and I see a guy who used to be in the MMA and, you know, he weighs 200 pounds and uh, and, and, and he's John Jones, I'm not going to go against him because I know I'm not going to win that fight. I may be a fighter, but I'm not going to win that fight. But you're not And there's going to be times when you have to let the shareholders, the, the board know as advisors mm -hmm. that the best thing to do is to settle. How, and how do they react one of those when situations. you tell them that? I mean, here, you well, know, you think of an, the most advisors say, oh, you know, whatever you want, I'll do it. You're paying me. You'll run out the clock. You know, I'll collect my fee. It takes a lot of guts to, to say, actually, no. And in fact, your strategy is wrong. So, so how do you, how, what kind of reactions do you get when you have to give them that straight talk? I believe I have a moral duty to give them that straight talk. It's my reputation. If I tell them to fight and they, win, they lose horribly, it's my reputation because everyone's going to say, the first thing people are going to ask is, what were they hearing from their advisors? That's what everybody asks about CP. What were they hearing from their advisors because they've lost so badly? So why did they go and spend 30-something million dollars on this contest and lose so badly? So it's my reputation. So I have a moral duty to let my client know whether or not they have a battle that they can win. And I have to be able to give them percentages. You know, I think you have a 20% chance. And if you have a 20% chance, sit down and try to settle this. If you have an 80% chance of winning, I still would recommend that you have a conversation to try to settle, right? There's no situation unless the other side is being completely unreasonable where I would recommend that a company go all the way into a proxy fight. And I know it's very odd to hear someone like me say that, 
but it is true. The fact of the matter is, it's very costly. Uh, it's very distracting. It's, you know, a lot of people don't appreciate the fact that when you're going through a proxified, in the case of CP, four months, five months, you have to put your business on hold for that period of time. And it costs everybody. It costs the investors. It costs everybody to do that. And so, some, yeah, go ahead. And, uh, and I was just going to say, and in some cases, when you're on the flip side, when you're hired to represent an activist, you tell them that what they're after is unrealistic. There was a story you yes. shared with me during our last call about uh, unrealistic goals. Perhaps you could relate that one to our listeners. Well, well you know, in the situation, the activist came in and said, listen, uh, I would like the entire board replaced, the entire board, <laughs> and, uh, and, and to, to put my own board in place. Now, I was advising the company in that situation, but if I was advising the activist, I would say that is not a reasonable ask. Because what you're asking these directors to do is to disregard their fiduciary duty and to hand the company over to you. Now, you take that company because the shareholders elect directors to serve from one annual meeting to the next annual meeting. Okay, And in between those, that annual meeting that you were duly elected by shareholders to serve, you decided that you're going to resign and hand the company over to a group that the shareholders themselves didn't have a choice to choose, okay? Now, let's say those people bankrupt the company, for argument's sake. Where's the liability? The liability is with those people who put them in place to run the company, which is the board. So the board has a fiduciary duty to say no to that request because they would have legal liability if something happens negative to that company. So my question, my, so I would tell my clients, first of all, that that is not something you can ask for, for that reason. In addition to that, you're actually saying to every single members of that board that they're incompetent. There has to be one there that's good. In addition to that, you're going to have no history in terms of what's going on in the company over the years. No history. You'd have to start from scratch in terms of knowing where the bodies are buried or what's going on in the company. And that's going to cost you significantly, and that's going to cost other shareholders significantly. So changing a board wholesale, you know, in between annual meeting, in my view, you should never change a board like that wholesale because you need someone with historical knowledge of what's going on in the company so that you can know how to fix those issues. Well, Wes, I love the way you come at this, not from the point of view of just doing the bidding of a company, but really thinking about your convictions, your beliefs, and standing for those. The, the question I'd have for you is, okay, so you go in, you talk to the board that's hired you, you talk to the activist who has retained you, and you give them this straight dose of reality. You say, no, no, you can't have the whole board, you know, two seats maybe, or don't fight this or have a conversation. They say, no. How often do you, is, do you walk away then if they don't listen to your advice? Does that happen for you? Well, you know, I've I've never walked away from a mandate that I was hired to to do because first of all, I've a duty to my client to mm. represent him. You know, uh, when you think of a lawyer, for example, there's times when the client doesn't take the lawyer's advice, but it doesn't really mean that the lawyer go, you know what, I'm not going to represent you on your own. Right. Uh, I have to still represent in the best way I possibly know how, um, because again, it's my advice. It doesn't mean that I'm right. <laughs> right. It, it just means that that's my advice and I could be wrong. You know, I could uh, you could decide that, you know what, I understand the downside for going for a majority or going for the uh, a wholesale change of the board. I get that. But that's what I'm looking for. 
So your job is to now make sure it happens. And I work very hard to make sure it happens. So let's turn to making sure it happens. So that you've you've had the conversation, you've agreed on strategy or come at least, you know, suggested what strategy is. And now you start. You either knock on the on the board's door for that first meeting or the knock comes and you're with the board. Talk to yeah. me and talk to our listeners about how the discussion starts and what your kind of guiding principles are for the beginning of a successful process on either side, please. Well, well, usually the first uh, conversation is somebody sent a letter in and say, uh, we believe that these are the uh, things that's wrong with your company and we have uh, a solution, which is get rid of some of your board members and put some of our guys on and uh, and this is the new strategy that you should implement uh, as a company. And, uh, and, and generally what happens is that the board will meet. Uh, I've never had a situation where the board is completely dismissive of uh, a letter or uh, any kind of filings done by investors criticizing the company. I've never seen them being just thrown in the recycling bin and, and, and move on. Uh, they would take it seriously. And they generally would uh, start getting advisors involved to say, here's what the situation is. How do we deal with it? Uh, we try very, very hard to keep the matter behind the scenes as long as possible. The reason being is that uh, there is ego involved in these things. And uh, and if you now say to me uh, that uh, you'd like to make these changes to the board and I completely dismiss you outright, then you go to the public with it. You call it a reporter and you leak the information to them. They write a big article about uh, how bad your company is and how undervalued it is and uh, that the CEO is doing a poor job in the board or bad stewards and stuff like that. Then guess what happens? Now, now you 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 now offending people who've worked very very hard at uh, trying to keep this company going, and then all of a sudden you start you have a fight on your hands. When the longer you keep it uh, out of the public domain, the more likely it is that you're going to be able to come to common ground with the with the other side and and work on something that makes sense. Keeping it out of the public is is critically important, but also it's almost what I'm hearing is that the mindset and tone with which you, in, you know, engage the board is important. What what yeah. advice would you give? I mean, let's say you're so you, you're representing an activist, and, and you're you've sent your letter. The board says, "Great, we'll meet you. We disagree, but we'll meet you." And you have a feisty, you know, combative activist yeah. who views the company management as incompetent, and they say, "Okay, we're going to go for this first meeting." What advice do you give them? about making that first meeting productive and successful? You know, I, I, I put it this way uh, when I talked to my clients. I said, you know, let's say, for example, you have your son, little Charlie. Um, you know, he ran outside and ran across the street and your neighbor kind of grabbed him and say, I, you know, saved him from, from a car, you know, being hit by a car. And the neighbor come over to you and said, you're such an incompetent parent. I can't believe you let little Johnny run across the street like that. You know, <laughs> you're gonna, you're never gonna talk to that neighbor again. Those are fighting words, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's really, you know, when you think about the boardroom setting, when an activist sent the scathing letter in to the company, and uh, those are fighting words. So I always say the first approach should be a nice one. If that neighbor had seen little Johnny, 
and went to the parents and said, oh, by the way, uh, I just saw him, you know, run out there. I know you're in the backyard and you didn't see and uh, here you go. Uh, the neighbor, thank you very much. You're doing the neighborly thing. I appreciate it. Life is good. Great relationship with the neighbor. So I tell my clients, just tap on the door gently, the boardroom door, gently. And when you're invited in, don't kick your way in. When you're invited in, tell them all the great things they're doing. You know, mm. um, you're doing these are these three assets here are fantastic. You guys have uh, hit the ball of the park in these different areas. Great work. But you know what? We have a suggestion on these three areas that I think could create some great value for investors. And here's what our thinking is on that issue. Hmm. And okay. is there, a, is there a, when you think back, and we've talked a lot about CP, which is a great example, is there another example in your uh, history that you think of where someone who you worked with that you can talk about did this very successfully? Well, you know, the, the, the good news about it is, is that whenever it's done successfully, you never hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's true. That's right. True. So yeah. I would say that uh, 90% of the deals that we work huh. on never get into a proxy fight. Right. And it never makes a newspaper hmm. and you never hear anything about them. So it happens every single, I would say, day in and day out. We've done like five of them happening. in the last month. <laughs> five in the last month like wow. that. Either working for either side, either representing the company hmm. or representing the activists. Hmm. Right. And when they take, I always say that if I've been in this business for a very long time, mm -hmm. I've made a lot of money in this business. I don't have to do it. I do it because I love it. I can see you and love I it. Do it, it, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it comes you, through. you know, it's, it, it's, you can, you can actually get into a situation where you can completely change the dynamic mm -hmm. of a company for the better. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, uh, and so my job really is to look at a situation and do what I think is in the best interest of all those people involved mm -hmm. in a lot of cases who have never been through that situation before. Right. Listen, an activist have, been, have done it before, right? An activist, that's their job. Their job mm -hmm. is to do this time and time again. And that's how they raise money and that's how they create value for their investors. Mm -hmm. But the companies that they target, they have never been through that situation mm -hmm. before. Okay? Which is why they so need they someone need, like you. <laughs> exactly. They need guidance. They need to know what the rules of the game is. Right. And they need someone to actually give them that proper guidance so that they can make an informed decision. And, uh, and, and that's the reason why when we get hired, we believe it's a privilege for us to be that advisor to the company hmm. that can walk them through the minefield of that hostile situation and end up being in a friendly situation where they hmm. can work with the activists if it's settlement and create value for all investors. Okay, so let's play that. Let's play it out then. So let's say, yeah. so you go, you're representing, and and maybe you could think of a scenario to share with us where the board and management did not respond well, so that we can have one that you actually that can be publicly discussed. Um, but um, so let's say you go in and you have a you have a productive and and polite conversation on both sides. That first conversation goes well. The board and management willing to entertain your meeting. And the activist is respectful. You go away and, and then nothing happens. What next? How do you move the process forward? And, and if you have an example that led to a result, that would be great too. Yeah, well, you know, well it depends on which side I'm working on. So in this case here, let's say I'm working for the activist. Okay. And, uh, and they go in to, to talk to the company. Um, and the company decided that 
you know, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, it's, uh, again, like if you look at the proxy fights that went public, for example, saw Agram and Jana, mm-hmm. it went all the way to the ballot box, right? And that was a clear situation where both sides just couldn't come to terms on what a deal should look like, and it went to the ballot box, and uh, and, and, and and we know the outcome is mm-hmm. Jana lost the proxy fight, Agram was successful, ultimately uh, the company merged and uh, and it, with... with uh, set, uh, um, potash and uh, now they're called Nutrien. Um, so, and, but and were in, you in, in on that representing? We were advised side? in Jana Partners, the activists okay. in that in that particular situation, and um, you know, so and and unlike any other situation that we get involved in, the first thing that we say is that there's got to be common ground and mm-hmm. and and let's try to find it. Uh, but again, you know, you know, one of the things that you have to take into account in these contests is personalities. And uh, and if the personalities uh, don't align, maybe because of the initial approach or what have you, you will never be in a position where you can settle a dispute. Be, never. Hmm. Right. I think that initial pr- approach is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. Now, we've had situations, for example, where our client would say, you know, I am not going to settle with this guy because he came to me in an aggressive way to get on no. my board. He's forcing his way, huh. and I'm not going to settle with him. There's no so way ego, I want him. Ego on my board. over substance. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, and and so what I would say to my my client is that if you put that the initial approach aside, look at his CV. Is he a good director? And, uh, and especially if it's not him, let's say he's nominating an independent third party. Is that person truly independent? And could that person be helpful to your board? When you look at a board of a public company, there's always directors that the CEO or other board members would like to get rid of. There's always one person <laughs> that is not contributing in the same way hmm. others are. But it's very difficult to tap that person on the shoulder and tell them to move on. Mm-hmm. So in my view, sometimes this is a solution for them. If you put the ego aside, this could be the solution. Because all of a sudden, you bring in somebody in who mm-hmm. has industry expertise, who can fill the void that you, uh, that you see in the board, and now you can enhance the board with people that the board needs to progress it into the future. right? And that's the reason why companies decide to do uh, age limits, uh, term limits, because of the fact that they just don't want to tap that director on the shoulder and say, it's time for you to move on. So they put in this limit to say, after you turn 70, you have to leave. Unfortunately, there is very effective directors that are effective in their 70s, in their 80s in some cases, right? So age limit is not good, but the only reason why companies put it in there is because it's very uncomfortable to tell people that they should leave. And so what you're doing, it sounds like, is you're you're taking the ego out. You're saying, "Hey, you know, use this to your advantage." You're helping both sides get something, allowing right. the, the board to say, "Well, this is actually your chance to replace someone." You may not like the new person coming on, but he or she is going to be far more effective than this dead weight that you wanted to get rid of but can't. I have never had a a, a, a company tell me that because keep in mind, the board size is usually ten to fifteen people, mm-hmm. right? Ten to fifteen people. I've never had someone tell me that every single member of the board are superstars, right? There's there's always going to be one person or two that could be replaced. One of the things that Bill mentioned uh, in the activist conference yesterday, which was quite interesting, 
he said that if every single nominee has a has to compete for their slot every year let's say there's always two people two directors up for a position you will always put forward the best candidate for every single meeting because it's a contest every year right right so you're going to make sure that your guy is the best person to win against the other guy that they're going up against Mm -hmm. right and the game will step up and i think that's really you know when you look at a proxy contest ultimately that's what you deal with right because Mm -hmm. You're, you're opposed by somebody else. And you have to make sure that the people that you put forward are better than the other side, mm-hmm. right? So if, you, right. if you're going to go into a proxy contest, you have to now look internally at your board and say, do we have the best people to go up against mm-hmm. those guys? I don't want those guys, but can, are my guys better? And if the answer is no, and in some cases, we help them to draw the conclusion that the answer is no. Some of the things we look at is, um, uh, how long they've been on the board for, right? We look at how many board meetings they attend. Mm-hmm. We look at uh, the performance of companies, uh, of other boards that they serve on, right? We look at all those vulnerabilities individually for our candidates. And then if we feel that some of our guys are vulnerable, we would now recommend that they seek other directors to replace those mm-hmm. people. And, and so, Wes, let me ask you something here. So, what, you're, what you've talked about is, okay, so ideally, 90% of these, these proxy battles get resolved successfully with a mutual kind of solution. Some of them, though, for ego, for whatever reason, there's a standoff, essentially, right? And that mm-hmm. the, the activist campaign, both sides almost try and hold out, right? Sometimes it ends yep. up in the ballot box, as, as it did with Agrium. But in other cases, and you can look at Herbalife as an example, it just drags on. And, you know, for the people listening who may not be active as investors, but who may be involved in protracted negotiations, I think there's a question worth answering. And that's when you're in one of these negotiations that's just dragging on and you have to decide, do I pack it in or do I soldier on? What advice do you give to your clients that people listening would benefit from hearing? Uh, I, I say to my clients in these situations, uh, it's a marathon, not, not a sprint. Uh, these things, in some cases, these are big companies. It takes a lot of time to make decisions. There's timelines in which you, uh, you're required to give directors notice to call a meeting to discuss issues that you may have as a company. And uh, you should never uh, assume that it's going to be a quick solution to, uh, to what, you're, what you're asking for. So what we say to our, our, our company is that you shouldn't, uh, you know, don't give up too early on the process. We've had a situation, for example, that um, uh, we, were, uh, we were approached, my client was approached by an activist, uh, but I do believe that the activist had some uh, 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 good nominees, and I didn't feel that it was right for the company to get into a proxy fight with the activist. Uh, the activist approached us uh, back in, uh, I think it was uh, late October, November last year. And uh, we just settled it uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, But there were certain times when both sides decided that they just wanted to go and let's just go to battle. And ultimately, time allowed us to settle. Time allowed us to come to a resolution that both sides were happy with. and uh, And here we are. Peace in uh, in paradise. And did, uh, you, so, did you go to both sides and encourage them to? Yes. 
So I was the, I actually was the person that the company hired to be the the, mm. the spokesperson and to be the negotiator to try to come to a settlement with uh, with the other side. And, uh, and, and, and again, you know, for me, uh, I have nothing at stake, right? You know, when the, when the activist uh, is upset and yelling at the company, he can yell at me because I don't really care if you yell at me. You know, nice. I have a thick skin. It's, you're not talking to me anyways. But if you talk to my client like that, he's going to take it differently, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to yell, yell at me, and, uh, and I tell my client, you yell at me too. And I'm not going to, you know, so I'm this baseball, <laughs> you know, that, you know, in the middle here that uh, just get bounced around. But I'm okay because I have an objective. And my objective is to put your both sides' ego aside and try to do what's in both their best interests. And they don't know what's in their best interests until I get them to put the ego aside. Right. That's the only way they're going to know when what's in their best interest if the ego is put aside. So my well, job is to make that happen. And I think, you know, as we we kind of wrap, bring this to a close here, you know, I, I feel like everyone who, you know, obviously most people listening won't have the excitement and stress and uh, euphoria of, of being on a, an activist campaign or defending against one. But I think they're really broad lessons for anyone involved in the confrontational negotiation that you're really uh, that can, we can take from you, you know, and let me just capture what I've gotten from you and then you can, you can correct or add on. You know, I've got five things that for anyone listening who has to initiate or defend against a confrontational negotiation. The first is to start with realistic expectations. The second is to make that first approach gently. The third is to take your ego out of it. The fourth is don't give up too early. And fifth is have a Wes, you know, have someone who can, <laughs> who can go between and really find a common settlement. What would your yeah. thoughts on those be in any you'd, you'd add or change? No, I, I think that's, uh, that's absolutely the case. You know, we, whenever you involve in it tense, because all these things, these proxy contest situation, they are negotiations, right? Let's say, for example, you are unsuccessful negotiating with a company, right? and you're launching a proxy fight, you now still have to go negotiate with the investors that are going to mm. support you, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. they may say, you know what, what you're asking for is a little bit too much. If you want my support, you need to make these changes to your ideas, okay? And you now have to, so at every single step of that process, you have to appreciate that if you lose in negotiation number one, which is with a company, you're probably going to have a hard time because you're now going to have to negotiate with several other people to get what you're looking for. So uh, so you have to sharpen up that negotiation skills because the first question people are going to ask you when you go to them is that, did you try to cut a deal? First question, did you try to cut a deal? And if the answer is no, why not? And you can't say, well, my ego didn't let me or he was, you know, he didn't want to talk. They do not, shareholders do not appreciate going all the way to a battle without trying to find a common ground first. And they, they're they pragmatic. They appreciate the fact that not in, not in all cases you're going to find a common ground. In some cases, you have to go to war. But they have to know that you try to come to a truce first before you go to war. Well, and clearly, you know, what I've taken away from this is that the most successful wars are the ones that are never fought, where both exactly. sides agree to peace yes. behind closed That's right. doors. Yep. 
Well, Wes, this has been hugely valuable. I mean, I've personally learned so much about this hidden world, you know, of, of proxy battles and the two sides. And, and I think what's so powerful about your advice, and I can see why you are, you know, a preeminent expert and go-to for, for these leading companies, is that you're not, a, you know, you're not a fighter in the sense that your goal is to help these companies and the people you represent as activists come to a mutual solution. And I think there's, there's wisdom in that for anyone involved in, in potential battles in their careers, in their workplaces that, that they would be wise to, uh, to take away. So, look, I appreciate your time. appreciate you coming on. If, if people want to know more about what you do or your business or hire you if they're facing a, an insurgency, where should they go? Well, just our, our website is uh, kingsdaleadvisors.com uh, uh, or uh, just uh, look me up. Uh, I'm easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm all over the place. Really appreciate your time, Wes. And thank you so much for coming on the Inspire podcast. It's a pleasure, Bart. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Wes Hall. What a neat person. I mean, to be on the inside of so many high stakes negotiations and to really approach them with that mindset of helping both sides reach the outcome that serves their mutual interests. Uh, I just got so much from that and so much that even though I'll never either launch or face an activist investor uh, can apply to my own communication. So hopefully you did too. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, please rate it, review it, email me. Uh, you can get me at bagnell at thehumphreygroup.com. Connect with me on Twitter at dhg underscore Bart. And you can learn more about the work that we do at The Humphrey Group at www.thehumphreygroup.com. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'll be back soon with another episode and more inspiration. Thanks. Thanks.